Welcome to the Mariners Cast, presented to you by Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. This is Mariners Cast number 107. It is November 20th, 2023, Monday. Uh, we are going to cover really the last week of Mariners offseason news. Uh, Mariners trade for Luis Urias, a middle infielder from the Boston Red Sox. Uh, we'll run down some of the other smaller transactions. Discuss Brent Brown a little bit, the uh, coach that the Mariners added to the coaching staff, uh, hitting coach. He won't serve as such necessarily for the Mariners, but um, really did play a pretty big role in uh, revamping the Los Angeles Dodgers approach and some of their reclamation projects. So I think how Brent Brown fits with the Mariners is going to be very interesting. Uh, then we will cover some of the rumors, both free agent and uh, trade, that have been out there over the last week or so. So once again, it is November 20th, Monday, Mariners cast number 107. Uh, and let's get started. So a few days ago, the Mariners traded relief pitcher Isaiah Campbell, right-handed, pitched in um, middle relief for the Mariners last season, former second-round pick, 76th overall by the Mariners in uh, 2019, for Luis Urias, former top 30 prospect, um, played for the Padres, uh, the Brewers, most recently the Red Sox, and now coming to the Mariners. So my initial thoughts on this trade uh, are that I love it. I think this was a very smart trade by the Mariners. Uh, fans, Twitter folk like to talk about um, or ask why the Mariners don't trade from uh, their strength, which is pitching for hitting. This was an example of that. Um, and I think it happened right underneath Mariners fans noses without really recognizing or acknowledging the fact that it did. Campbell, We'll run through first, talk about what the Mariners lost in trading him, and then we will talk about Luis Urias. Campbell's 26, 6'4", 225. As I said, he was picked 76th overall by the Mariners in 2019. He does have five-plus years of service left before hitting free agency. Last season, he was 4-1 and one with a 2.83 ERA and a 1-2-2 whip in 28 and two-thirds innings. Uh, there weren't any big numbers that were really out of line with Isaiah Campbell. Campbell did strike out 27.5% of the hitters that he faced, about an 11% walk rate in 28 and two-thirds innings. And, you know, I think he profiles as a very effective middle reliever for the Red Sox. Uh, the Marin, He's not a, a nothing, right? Uh, but in these typical Mariners, you know, forcing fastball, Good spin, uh, 30% whiff rate on the four-seamer at 95 miles an hour. Uh, threw a slider 38% of the time at close to 87 miles an hour average. Got really good results with that. A little bit of a sweeper as well. Um, so the kind of reliever that I, I do think has value in the major leagues, and you don't give him away for nothing. But the reason why the Mariners would trade Isaiah Campbell for Luis Urias is the Mariners print these dudes. 
we talked about this at length, you know, whether it's Trent Thornton or Justin Topa or Matt Brash or Paul Seawald or, you know, on and on and on effective, specifically right-handed, but effective relievers, you know, the Mariners should be trading all day long. I still stand by the Paul Seawall trade, even though people are critical of it, because you got three real assets back for Paul Seawald in Dominic Canzone, Ryan Bliss, and Josh Rojas. So this, to me, is another example of trading from your strength uh, to try to find uh, good hitters. You know, so until the Mariners start producing hitters at the same rate that they do pitchers, this is a smart move. Luis Urias is a very interesting player. He's a player who I've liked for quite a while personally. Um, he's a player who made a huge change in his uh, plate approach in what looks to be 2019, 2020 range. Uh, he is 26 years old, 5'9", 186. He is arbitration eligible in 2024. He'd be a free agent in 26. I think he was arb eligible last year, actually. Uh, but he's a free agent in 26. He is um, being paid, I believe, $4.7 million this season, uh, which is a pay increase over Isaiah Campbell. It is not more than um, what they were willing to layout for uh, Colton Wong last season. The history on Urias is that he was a consensus top 30 prospect in 2019 or heading into 2019. Uh, he was very much a uh, kind of plus hit tool offensive second base prospect or shortstop prospect. Um, could have played both. He was traded from San Diego as the headliner uh, to Milwaukee for Trent Grisham. He obviously has a ton of talent in the bat. His minor league pipeline, MLB pipeline tools read uh, 70 hit, 45 power, 50 run, 55 field, 55 overall. So again, uh, profiled as a bat first, second base shortstop with, at, with good average and good OVP. So what happened to Luis Urias? He hits for a little more power in 2019 with San Diego and in the minors. He gets traded to Milwaukee. Milwaukee is known for taking um, hitters and really trying to increase the launch angle, increase the pull side power. Uh, it's kind of their trick, their offensive trick, if you want to call it that. Uh, they did it with Rowdy Tellez. They did it with Willie Adamas, probably most famously. Uh, they got some of that out of Christian Yelich when they traded for him from Miami, but it's what Milwaukee does offensively, and it's what they attempted to do with Luis Urias as well. They take high-skilled bat-to-ball guys and try to add power um, with that approach. So his launch angle history, I don't love launch angle in isolation, but I think it demonstrates a really great point with Urias. In 2018, his launch angle with San Diego was 1.6 degrees. That's ton. That is a ton of ground balls. Um, not what you're looking for from a even a good hitter, let alone a power hitter. 2019, it was up to 10.1 degrees. There was clearly a, a shift in approach. In 2020, with Milwaukee, it goes back down to 2.3 degrees. 
Up to this point in time, he hadn't really had a great season. His best season of his career is 2021. He goes from 2.3 degree launch angle in 20 to 14.2 degree launch angle in 2021. In 2021, Luis Urias in 570 plate appearances hits 249, 345 with a 790 OPS and 23 home runs. That's coupled with an 11% walk rate and a 20% K rate. He was good for a 112 WRC plus and 2.1 Fangraphs war. That's a very good offensive season from a second baseman. If the Mariners could get anything close to that from him, close to an 800 OPS, the Mariners are in business. He's maintained that launch angle. Uh, in 22, it went up to 18 degrees. Last season, it was 14.7 degrees. Um, his results in 22 were very good. Uh, in 22, he hit 239, 335, 404, 472 plate appearances, 16 home runs, 10.6% walk rate, 21% K rate, 110 WRC plus, good for a 2.3 uh, Fangraph war season. So in last season, he had a hamstring injury, didn't play very well, didn't hit very well, ended up with a 636 OPS. But the walk rate stayed in line with the last couple of years. The K rate pretty much stayed in line with the past couple of years. Slight increase, but I think part of that was the injury and not playing often. So basically, what you have with Luis Urias is a reduction in K rate from, you know, oh, oh, if you compare him to the Mariners' offense overall last season. Doesn't strike out a ton. Double-digit walk rate which is something you're looking for, is going to provide you with some pop. He's hit 23 home runs in a season at second base. So high walk rate, lower K rate, hits some home runs, uh, does does make contact when he chases, which is um, can at times be a good thing. Not a ton of swing and miss. Um, and he is historically, he has been a lot better against lefties and against righties. So he is a right-handed hitter. Versus lefties on his career, 276 average, 795 OPS. Versus righties for his career, 219 average, 691 OPS. So doesn't necessarily solve the issue against right-handed pitching, but certainly a good bat to have. Um, he can spell J.P. Crawford against tough lefties. He can certainly be the short side platoon at second base. If you have Josh Rojas as your uh, primary second baseman against right-handers, um, can play third base if the Mariners do indeed decide to deal a Eugenio Suarez at some point, which I don't think they will, but he's insurance for that as well. From a fit standpoint, what you're looking at with Urias is that likely he and Dylan Moore are your two right-handed bats off the bench. Uh, I think this moves more primarily to the outfield. Um, and then Urias is your primary uh, infield right-handed bat. If you platoon Rojas and Urias, you're looking at a pretty good, uh, decent production at second base. I do think if one of them plays well or plays better than, hits better than um, what's expected, I do think you would see that player get the majority of that bats at second base. I think the Mariners would hope. In a perfect world that one of those two, Josh Rojas, Luis Urias, does 
kind of get ahead of the other and become the primary second baseman. As I said, historically, he's had very good bat-to-ball skills. Um, he shifted his approach, which is going to add fly balls and strikeouts, and he sells out for power a bit more now than he did. Uh, but I love the gamble. You traded a reliever for him. The Mariners can print relievers. I like Isaiah Campbell as a reliever, but the Mariners have a thousand more of them coming. And one interesting part about or thing about Luis Urias is that uh, his recent WRC plus history isn't as good as Colton Wong's in the previous years leading up to the Mariners acquisition. I think it's very similar process by the Mariners in that you're looking at a second baseman who has played pretty decently historically and you're looking for them to do something similar with the Mariners. It's a similar process to Wong. I'm very interested to see what happens if he doesn't produce to see if the Mariners fans have the same reaction to him, but I love the process. I think it's a gamble worth taking. I don't think it costs the Mariners a ton. Um, Isaiah Campbell's not a player who is going to impact the Mariners too much one way or the other, but Luis Urias can be. So I love it. You slot him in second or first or second right-hander off the bench. He and Dylan Moore. Now Jose Caballero is your quad a middle infielder, which I think is a better place for him. You're not counting on Ryan Bliss to produce. If Ryan Bliss does hit incredibly well, then maybe you find a spot for him. But at this point in time, you're bringing in a legitimate major leaguer to fill that role. I love it. The Mariners non-tendered Mike Ford, making him a free agent. He is arbitration eligible. He's 31 years old. As y'all know, Mike Ford hit for a ton of power last season. Uh, ended up with a 798 OPS, 228 average, 16 home runs, and 251 plate appearances. Very much a 3-2 outcome type of hitter for the Mariners. 123 WRC+. plus. He was worth .6 Fangraphs war. Um, and while he played a role for the team, I think he's a fungible player. They can find someone else to play a similar role. Um, there are a lot of big swinging, uh, first base only, DH only type of left-handed hitters out there on the market. Rowdy Tellez, much better player than Mike Ford, was non-tendered by the Brewers. That sort of player can be found. So I understood non-tendering Mike Ford. Mariners added outfielder Zach Deloach to the 40-man roster. Uh, we covered him in the corner outfield episode 25 years old, left-handed hitter, former second-round pick out of Texas A&M. Uh, good tools, hit pretty well last year in AAA for the Mariners in Tacoma. 868 OPS, 23 home runs, 111 WRC+. Plus. Uh, decent hitter, has too much swing and miss. He did strike out about 28% of the time in AAA. Uh, Mariners Twitter, Mariners fans were a little bit up in arms, and the Mariners protecting him and asking why. Uh, this, to me, was simple asset protection. Is he worth much to the Mariners? I don't think so. I think Kate Marlowe's probably a better player, certainly uh, giving Jonathan Classe the opportunity to play and see what they have in him is higher on my list than Zach Deloach being in the major leagues, but you don't want to lose him for nothing. And a Mike Ford type of player is replaceable, so I understood why they put him on the 40-man as well. Next bit of business. Mariners signed 
uh, 52-year-old Brant Brown to be a part of the coaching staff. He is part of the, I guess you want to call it the hitting or the offensive coaching staff. Brant Brown was a left-handed outfielder uh, that played for the, the Cubs, the Pirates, the Marlins. I remember him from my childhood. Uh, most recently, he was the hitting coach with the Marlins in 22. Uh, or hired in December of 22 to be the hitting coach of the Marlins. Prior to that, he was with the Dodgers for four years as an assistant hitting coach, a minor league hitting coordinator, and then a hitting strategist. He was with the Mariners organization for four years prior to that, and then with the Rangers organization for five years prior to that, all as a coach. Uh, Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger give... Uh, Brant Brown, quite a bit of credit in helping them with their careers. Muncie was basically a, a zero until coming to the Dodgers and um, creating a swing that was much more, again, three true outcome type of swing, but a very valuable home run hitter who got on base with a low average for the Dodgers. Uh, Brant Brown knows hitting. He, he went to the Marlins last season as their hitting uh, hitting coach. Marlins ranked fourth in average at 259 in baseball. Well, I think a lot of that is the presence of Luis Arise. Um, I don't know if you can attribute that totally to Brant Brown, but they were fourth in average. They were 19th in on-base percentage, 19th in slugging. Uh, their talent wasn't great. I don't particularly know what to read from that as far as Brant Brown's impact. Uh, walk rate was 27th in baseball at 7.1%. They admittedly have a bunch of free swinging type players, but their K rate was eighth in baseball, eighth lowest at 21.3%. I think that's important because I think Brant Brown fits the Mariners approach of trying to put the ball in play a little bit more, um, and figuring out how to strike out less. He has not been given an official title from what I saw. I don't think he's coming in as the hitting coach. I think he's coming in as a consultant on the coaching staff. I expect the Mariners to hire a hitting coach still, but I like the addition. I think when you take guys from who kind of learned the most or really earned their stripes with the Dodgers or an organization like the Dodgers and working for Andrew Friedman, uh, it's a good thing. I like the, the addition of Brant Brown quite a bit. I don't know what he's going to add specifically as of now, but um, I think the addition was smart. So that covers the uh, transactions with the Mariners up to this point um, over the past week or so. There were some rumors, uh, some thoughts, a lot of Twitter conversation over the last week um, about a couple of different players. I'm going to start with the Twins Daily. Uh, Online profiled George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, and Bryce Miller as pitchers that the Twins could potentially acquire to replace Sonny Gray, who's going to leave in free agency. He's their number two starter. They talked quite a bit about the three pitchers. I think they did a pretty good job profiling them and understanding what it is that they bring to the table. They said that all three of them would be expensive. They did acknowledge the fact that George Kirby is probably untouchable, which a lot of opposing teams don't like to say. Uh, I appreciated that as well. The players that they put out there to acquire one of those three, I think Gilbert was the most realistic in their minds. Um, the players that they put out there were, or floated, I guess, is 
Jorge Polanco, who I've been pounding the table for, I think Polanco would be an incredible addition to the Mariners. I think he would solve a lot of the offensive issue, not a lot of the offensive issues. I think he would start to help the offensive issues. Uh, the acquisition of Luis Urias, I think, changes uh, the calculus a little bit. Um, I'm not sure what the Mariners would choose to do if Polanco was a part of this team. If they added Polanco and Urias, I think you really start to lengthen that bench. And they would have a very deep offense at that point, um, specifically in the middle infield and probably corner outfield as well, because Dylan Moore would would go there uh, permanently. Uh, the two other names are Brooks Lee, a former first round pick who is a more of a contact over power sort of hitter and can play a serviceable shortstop, but I think profiles defensively better at second or third. Uh, he will be in the majors probably by the end of this year, for sure, beginning of next year. And then uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez, who is a kind of a mini Juan Soto type. Uh, that's his plate approach, you know, takes a ton of walks, can hit for power, pretty small guy. Uh has a very high offensive ceiling as a, what I think is ultimately a corner outfielder. Um, probably a top 50 prospect going into this season. If you could get Polanco Lee and Emmanuel Rodriguez for Logan Gilbert, um, I don't know if that's a no brainer to me, but it is a trade that I, that is starting to approach equal value. Uh, if you could do something like that for a Bryce Miller, I think you do it in a heartbeat. As much as I love Bryce Miller, that's a lot of offense to acquire. Uh, Polanco is not paid a ton. I think it's $10 million that he got uh, for this next season. And then, again, Lee and, and Emmanuel Rodriguez are decent prospects. Um, would I do this deal if you were able to uh, sign a – an upper echelon starting pitching uh, or starting pitcher, 100%. If you could sign a Jordan Montgomery, a Yamamoto, a Blake Snell to replace the pitcher that you traded away via Gilbert or Miller, I think this is the kind of deal where you're adding a ton of offense, both to the high minors, low minors, and the major leagues. I think you have to do that kind of deal. I appreciate it, Twins Daily. It's one of the few rumors I've seen out there that actually, or thoughts that I've seen out there that actually makes sense for the Mariners um, coming from an uh, a team that's not the Seattle Mariners. I Twins Daily, um, obviously it's a media outlet, but it made sense to me. So that was an interesting one to me. Uh, we'll move to Shohei Otani. There was Shohei Otani news. Uh, Daniel Kramer of MLB.com, who covers the Mariners, said, quote, industry sources told MLB.com this week that landing Otani doesn't appear to be within the Mariners' realistic agenda this offseason, unquote. Twitter went off. Twitter went nuts. People were pissed, saying, you know, things like, I thought we were saving for Otani. Uh, why can't we compete if we make all this money? Why aren't we trying to sign him? I found it interesting because uh, someone else, I think it was MLB Trade Rumors, pointed out that it's not its not like the Mariners have exactly been shy about adding payroll over the past few years. 
This is the franchise that could end up spending $470 million on, on Julio Rodriguez and will owe him at least $210 million based on the terms of his contract extension in August of 22. That's nothing to sneeze at. I think a lot of people forget that they put out that much money to a 21-year-old. Luis Castillo's extension was what I would consider slightly below market, but it still was a $20-plus million outlay for a starting pitcher. They re-signed J.P. Crawford or, or signed J.P. Crawford to an extension. Uh, and trade rumors called it lucrative. I wouldn't necessarily call it lucrative, but it was $10-plus million for a uh, shortstop that really wasn't hitting very well. And don't forget the Mariners signed Robbie Ray to a $115 million deal two years ago. So it's not as if they're not signing people. It's not as if they're not spending any money at all. Um, the projected salary for the Mariners for 2024 so far is $143.3 million. Again, people were mad when this quote came out. The thing that came up for me is no one in the organization ever came out and said we're saving for Otani. This is something that a conclusion that whether it's media or fans just kind of came to on their own. That doesn't mean they were doing it. It just means that that's something somebody said. So to be angry when the news comes out that there is this, you know, industry sources are saying the Mariner, that Otani's not within the Mariners' realistic agenda, doesn't mean they're going against something they said previously because no one within the Mariners' organization actually said that. I think secondly, citing industry sources is doesn't mean that it's true. MLB.com can say industry sources said. That doesn't make it real. That doesn't make it true. The Mariners could be, you know, for all we know, the Mariners could be trying to throw people off the scent. Shohei Otani, his agent literally said, we don't want any of these meetings or negotiations in the media. And if they do get in the media, we're going to hold that against you. So the Mariners going the other way, or maybe saying we're not, we don't have the money to do it. They could be playing possum. It's as to me, it's as likely as them actually being out of the race. So don't believe everything you hear when you read something like this. This does not mean the Mariners are out on Otani as far as I'm concerned. I also think you need to ask the question, is it worth spending $50 million on a DH, which is basically what he is for at least two years, when you have holes elsewhere? I did talk in previous episodes about his contract in part being paid through marketing. I still think that's true, but I don't know if the Mariners are going to approach it that way. And so is spending $50 million on a DH smart? Does he put you over the top? I would still argue yes, but I think it's a question that needs to be discussed. And we all know the Mariners are running a tight ship. There are other businesses. There are other teams that operate this way as well. And just because they don't spend willy-nilly like the Mets or the Yankees doesn't mean that they aren't smart. I think they've been, the front office has been given a budget, and I think they're trying to operate within that budget. Again, I say this over and over again, just because they made a bunch of money or that they are as profitable as they are does not require them to spend at the same rate as the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Mets or some of the other high spending teams. Making the money doesn't mean they have to spend the money, whether you like to hear that or not. 
It's the same way with any business. Just because a business is profitable doesn't mean they have to go out and invest it back into the business. Just doesn't. I'd love to see it, but that's not who the Mariners are. So when this quote came out and everyone got pissed that the Mariners supposedly aren't in the running for Otani, I just, from my perspective, I just said, okay, doesn't mean it's necessarily true. We all know the Mariners run a tight ship. I think the Mariners are probably a better team if they did spend the 50 million, but they split it up amongst a couple of players. I just think that makes you deeper. So lots of Otani stuff, lots of Otani conversation. I'm not stuck on it. I hope you aren't either. Blake Snell. Uh, rumor is that Blake Snell really wants to come to the Mariners. Um, people are, you know, I've seen lots of tweets saying when a Cy Young Award winner wants to come to your team, why do you say no? Uh, in some ways that makes sense. I get where people are coming from when they say it. I don't necessarily agree. Blake Snell has been very, he's been elite two years. His Cy Young Award year in Tampa Bay, and I believe 2018, and last year. Those are the two years he's thrown 180 plus innings. He's not all, doesn't always throw a ton of innings. He's not super consistent. Um, the Mariners can make up their, they're smart and will make up their own opinion as to whether they think last year was repeatable with Blake Snell. I think anyone signing him believes that it is, but I don't think that's a uh, unanimous that people think last year's version of Blake Snell is actually who he is. The Mariners are also a team that is about process, right? You don't see the Mariners taking a ton of chances. You see them trusting their formula, trusting their vision. It's why, you know, you compare the process in acquiring Luis Urias to the process in acquiring Colton Wong last offseason. Similar process, similar production from them from a Fangraphs war perspective in previous years. Did not cost the Mariners a ton to acquire Wong last year, did not cost the Mariners a ton to acquire Urias this year. The Mariners are a process-based team. And so if Blake Snell and his propensity to walk hitters and not give in and not control the zone and pump strikes the way the Mariners preach, if that doesn't fit their process, if that doesn't fit their vision for the team, they're not obligated to sign him. Hometown discount or not. I think Blake Snell's you know, production, specifically last season, speaks for itself. I get it. I'd love to see him as a Mariner. I've said that before. But they are such a process-driven team that I understand why they're not signing him. Or that's how it looks as of right now. I get it. That process makes sense to me. You should also ask, is starting pitcher the place where the Mariners should be spending their free agent money, given their ability to produce starting pitchers. You've got all of these not even arbitration eligible young starters, George Kirby, Rice Miller, Brian Wu, who are cheap, right? And should the Mariners be paying for this if they're able to produce it themselves? I don't see a ton of pitching on the, you know, on the horizon for them or, or you know, in the near term. But I do think it's a question worth asking. 
I do think the Mariners take a swing at, at Blake Snell if they didn't already have Robbie Ray. But you have the $115 million contract that they signed Robbie Ray to. You know, a portion of that remains. Three years remain. And it's something they have to pay. This isn't a team who's just going to peanut butter over that and move on. It's a part of their budget. And so that's something that has to be taken into consideration. It is a, a, it is a, has an impact on their decision-making when it comes to signing another starting pitcher. I just, I don't know if, you know, again, he's been inconsistent at, you know, most of the time. It's going to cost a lot to acquire him. The Mariners already have Robbie Ray's contract that they have to deal with. And I'd love to see them spend that money on offense. Now, if you're going to trade Gilbert, Wu, or Miller and to acquire a bat, then signing Blake Snell makes a lot more sense to me. I did want to bring up one uh, kind of final thing. Aaron Nola, right-handed starting pitcher, was a free agent, re-signed with the Phillies. He's been a kind of sabermetrics darling. His production or his, his raw numbers don't look quite as good as his actual, I think, uh, pitching. He, over the last three years, his ERAs have been 463, 425, But under the hood, he's been a lot better. He signed a seven-year, $172 million contract uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies. That is good for $24.6 million per year. He's now 30. This takes him through his age 37 season. The Braves were after him. I believe the Yankees were after him as well. I think both teams offered him six years at a higher annual uh, average annual value, but he decided to stay with the Phillies when they offered him a seventh year. Why is uh, Aaron Nola important to talk about on the Mariners cast? I think his contract that he signs really truly displays the value of the Mariners having such good pitching under team control and why they were so reluctant to trade any of these guys uh, at the trade deadline. George Kirby does not become a free agent until 2029 at which point he'll be 30, 31 years old. If he doesn't get hurt, you're talking about a 180 to 200 inning pitcher right around five fan graphs war. He was at 4.4 this season in his second season. You compare that to Nola. Nola was 4.4 war in 21, 6.3 war in 22, and were 3.9 fan graphs war last season. So Aaron Nola was worth half a Fangraphs wore less than George Kirby last season and signed a seven-year, $172 million contract. You have Kirby, a younger pitcher, I think a comparable pitcher to Nola in some ways, who doesn't reach free agency until 2029. Think about how valuable that is. Luis Castillo signed through 27 with a vesting option for 28 if he throws 180 innings in 27. He was worth 3.4 Fangrass War, so worth just a little less than Aaron Nola. $21.6 million average annual value. So $3 million less per year than Aaron Nola, signed through 27. 
Logan Gilbert, 26 years old, worth 3.2 Fangrass War. Not a free agent until 2028. All three of those guys you can expect to throw 180 to 200 innings per year. Very similar pitchers from a value standpoint to Aaron Nola. And for the three of those guys, you're talking about one guy who's one pitcher who's at 20 plus million. And the other two, their arbitration numbers will probably get pretty high given their performance. But you've got team control until 28 with Gilbert and 29 with uh, Kirby. Bryce Miller, now you're projecting out a little bit, but 24 years old, 131 in the third innings, he was worth 1.9 Fangraphs war. You imagine he'll become more effective, he'll get better over time. He's not a free agent until 2030. And Brian Wu, worth one Fangraphs war, but you expect to be worth more next season? I'm not saying Miller or Wu is Nola, but they have tremendous value. And Brian Wu's probably not a free agent until 30 or 31. So remember when talking about trading from these starting pitchers or when you think about these starting pitchers and, and what the Mariners spend, part of why they don't spend very much is because they have so much starting pitching already. Does that mean that they need to spend more on hitting? Probably, but not to the extent that I think people are clamoring for. I just felt like it was a great exercise to compare these five starting pitchers to Aaron Nola from a value standpoint and from a Fangraphs war standpoint to understand what it is the Mariners truly have in their top five starters. One more note, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto was posted today. He is free to start negotiating with major league teams. I'll be very interested to see where he lands. Uh, I know the Mariners do have some level of interest in Yamamoto, um, I think there are a lot of dominoes that would fall if the Mariners did acquire him. You're looking at some trades after that. So today was, again, Mariners cast number 107. I appreciate the listen. We will back be back next Monday with a recap of this week's Mariners offseason news. Uh, I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to that first domino dropping. Again, I like the Udias acquisition. I think that was smart. Brent Brown is a good uh Smart guy with regards to hitting and a good uh, addition to the Mariners coaching staff as well. Can't wait for more news to drop. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next Monday. Take care, y'all. Peace.